0: He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Rev. Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Rev. Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Rev. Adelaide is a handmaiden of God
1: and do nothing without God's help. We want to ask for his help this morning. Please close your eyes. We want to sing, I'm desperate for you and I'm lost without you. Draw me close to you. Hallelujah. Worship power will take that. Talk to God this morning. Give him all the worship. You need him more than oxygen. I'm desperate for you. You Lord, I'm nothing without you, Lord, and I'm nothing without your anointing, Lord, and I'm nothing without your grace, Lord, and I'm nothing without your blood, oh God, and I'm nothing without your love, Jesus, and I'm nothing, oh God, except that you have deepened worthy to use a vessel of clay, Lord, to your glory and to proclaim your word. Ahead and let your will be done, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You will take your seats, praise the Lord, daughter. We're excited to be here for another day and to see what the Lord has done. I was speaking to my husband this morning. And he sends his love, and his greetings, and of course, his blessing. Hallelujah. I deem it a privilege to be standing here to preach the word of God. I have had the privilege of standing to make many speeches on different occasions in my life. And especially, I've had the privilege of standing in law courts, to defend my cause as a defense lawyer. But there's nothing as honorable as being called by God to preach the gospel. And there's nothing as humbling for me to stand before God's people from all walks of life to declare the mysteries of the living God. It is indeed a privilege. You know, sometimes people feel You have given up so much and that how could you give up a noble profession they call it like law they say to be a preacher but the fact that God created the world by his words the fact that the word of God can never ever be broken all that makes it a different type of thing and calling hallelujah and I'm glad that God deemed it worthy to use me what a privilege and I know that God will use many more women if we will just avail ourselves and many times the reason why women don't become all that God wants them to become is because we are strapped down by the many problems and challenges that come our way but thank God for the greater one the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I believe that the greater one will put us over and will cause us to overcome. Hallelujah. I do not think that women are distinctly cursed. I think that Adam was cursed and Eve was cursed. I don't think that a woman is more cursed than a man, you know. But I believe that a woman is a nature of seed, The man brings a seed. The woman also brings the seed. But the one who incubates and nourishes and nurtures the seed for nine months is the woman. And I believe that many times visions are brought forth and all that. But the nurturing and the maturation and the bringing forth is often birthed by women. And I think that that is why the devil is on our case. Because the Bible said that I put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. So the enmity is direct. It's not passing through anything. It's direct. But the Bible says that where sin abounded, grace did more abound. And so we have more grace on our side because of the sin that abounded on our behalf. Hallelujah. And under the new covenant, even though a woman gives birth in sorrow, is it not amazing that when the curse does not happen to her, she's rather looked upon as an unfortunate person. The Bible says in sorrow you shall give birth in your conception. You know, And in our world today, if you don't have that curse, you are rather not a blessed person. This is what God can do. So even God's curse turns out to be a blessing. And that is how... God works, hallelujah. And women are very unique. If you leave your children with your husband, he can do one thing at a time. And sometimes he can read the newspaper and forget about his surroundings. But a woman can stir the pot on the fire. She can attend to the baby who is crying. She can have the phone on her shoulder. And she can also be directing the husband as to where she put something. That is the uniqueness of a woman. Hallelujah. And so we are multifaceted. We are made like that by God. As the day goes on, I am going to read something scientific to you about the female brain and the male brain. And how it works. And how males tend to use the right-hand side of their brain. And if it's that, that's the one that's working but we are able to oscillate between the two. And that is why often when people are victims of stroke, the woman recovers earlier because she is able to switch between the two sides of the brain. But the man is logical, calculating and quite a f- formula related person. And so sometimes ladies, you have to know that it's not that they want to be some way but they are made differently from us. They are not inferior, but they are different. Hallelujah. And that is why sometimes when you share some problems with them, they do not understand what you are saying. It is not that they want to be somewhere, but they genuinely do not understand you. And when you are talking, they want to give you solutions. Do one, two, three, four, and five. But the first thing you are looking for is, I understand. And is that how you feel? You must feel very bad about this. But the first thing that comes to them is, how do we solve this situation? You know, so, we are different, but it is God's making. And we are not the same. I have sometimes wondered why God didn't just make Steve for Adam. but He made an Eve. Because I felt that, Steve and Adam will understand themselves better. When Steve comes from work, he will go and sit in in front of the television and so will Adam. They will not talk much. They will be watching the television and reading newspapers. And when there's a very interesting event in life and you ask them, what happened? They say, oh, what happened at the meeting? It was powerful. It was stupendous. God moved. But they will not tell you, oh, this person came this group sang. After that, this group danced. Then, lady Pasale made a speech and she introduced the first thing. All those things. They'll just say it was powerful. <laughs> because they like to give you the headlines. But I think that God in his wisdom put the opposites together. And I was telling one of our pastors that maybe God should have put men together because you all be logical. So when you bring a problem, Steve will know that the solution we are looking for is five steps. And then the pastor said to me, no, I work in a place in the United Kingdom and my boss is gay. My boss has a male partner. And I tell you the level of quarreling is worse than men and women relationships. And my boss sometimes is not able to work because his partner will be calling him and, the, and you did this and that and you did that, and they'll slam the phone. And, you know? And he also said that the jealousy among gay people is worse than heterosexual relationships. So I, I took instruction and I saw that God always knows best. But like when we use our wisdom, we feel that, oh, Two men will not have difficulties. Who should submit to who? Even that is a problem. But thank God that his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts also are higher than our thoughts. Hallelujah. I'm happy to be standing under the covering of my husband, the bishop. I'm glad that I don't have to stand in the sunshine and the tempest and the winds and the rain. But I have a man for my covering. I thank God that I have a pastor who has covered me and nurtured me up to today and he's the one who gave the name daughter you can make it to our women's conventions and he keeps encouraging me and telling me what we can do to make it better and I thank God for his life whenever you have the opportunity thank him for releasing me to be here today hallelujah. This morning, I want to preach to you about daughter, don't be obsessed. Daughter, don't be obsessed. Hallelujah. When you say that somebody is obsessive, it means the person is compulsive, something keeps consuming you, you are fixed on something. Something in your life is unforgettable. It is like a drug. You are addicted to it. No matter how happy you are, something will remind you of that thing. And when that thing comes, it will settle on you like a cloud. And it is something that sometimes you even want to move away from. But it seems coming up and facing you as an issue in your life. When you are obsessed about something, you are preoccupied. Too busy, too taken up by that thing, so that the rest of the areas of your life do not even function. You are fixated. Your gaze is fixed on that thing. And your gaze is unmovable. No matter what is happening around you in your life, we cannot move you or your sight from that thing. You are fixated. It has become a permanent fixture in your life. And it has held you in place. Because for you to be able to gaze at something for a long time, it also affects your movement because you have to be held in place to be able to gaze at the thing without moving. And so all that becomes an obsession. An obsession is something that controls you. Something we feel we cannot do without. Or something that is on our minds all the time our gaze is fixed in one direction and we miss out on a panoramic view. You see, when you have a telescope and you are looking, you are supposed to see the whole view. But when you are obsessed, you see only one thing. If it's a part of the union building, you are fixed. Your telescope has other things, the gardens, the beds, you are not seeing that one. You are seeing only one thing and you are addicted to it. Now, we can be obsessed with past mistakes something unfortunate that happened in your life has become a fixture and you are not able to move away from it you can be obsessed with a person the person has left you he has married he has had children he's on the way to having grandchildren and you are fixated (laughs) and obsessed you cannot move on you can be obsessed with a relationship you are so obsessed with the perfection that the relationship should be perfect And you are so obsessed with looking for that perfectionism that you have ceased to live and you are so busy your whole energy your mind your faculty your everything is spent on making that thing work you can be obsessed with your marriage so that all that you live for is this marriage and anything that goes wrong with it hooks you it's like an addiction it takes hold of you and you are not able to be released Actually, obsession is a form of bondage. Some of us are obsessed with being single. We see it as a terrible thing that has happened to us. And everything we see it through the filter of singlehood. When somebody doesn't say hello to you, you say, Because I'm single. <laughs> when the pastor preaches and says, Believe God, because I'm single. When your, ma- your mother calls, you say, Because I'm single. When you are unhappy, you say, Because I'm single. When you are lonely, you say, because I'm, who told you that when you marry, you will not be lonely? Who told you that married people don't have lonely times in their lives? And you think that because of your singlehood, everything, the reason for it is this singlehood. Everything, the reason for it is that failure that happened to you. Everything, the reason for it is that boy that dumped, if he had not dumped me, I would have been married by now. He has wasted my time. If he had not dumped me, I would have had so so much money in the bank. If he had not dumped me, I would have married somebody else. If he had not dumped me... You are so obsessed. And nothing is happening in your life. Sometimes we are obsessed with a difficult situation. We keep looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. The Bible says that as we keep beholding the glory of God, we are changed into the likeness of God. What you behold, you become. And so if you will keep on looking at failure, keep on looking at your heartache, keep on looking at your past mistake, keep on looking at your Ishmael, then you will become that thing. And sometimes we are so obsessed with, you know, we were molested as children and we are obsessed with it. We cannot move away from everything hinges on that. That is why I'm not a nice person. That is why I have personality problems that is why my marriage is not working that is why i've lost appetite that's why i can't hold down a job everything is fixated on that thing but this morning the lord is going to deliver us amen we are obsessed with a difficult spouse or a difficult parent or our language of love we are obsessed with it your husband's language of love the fact that is different doesn't mean it's not proper Hallelujah If he doesn't give you something You will complain If he gives you a kitchen appliance You say it's for the whole house Why is he giving you something that's not personal If he gives you Perfume you say this is not my usual brand You are obsessed with the way Love should be transmitted to you So no matter how he tries to love you Because it is not in your obsessive and fixated way, you will never receive the love. It is when he dies, and you come and read a tribute and say, he was a very loving man. (laughs) But as you lived, you never bent a little. You could never be swayed a little. Everything was fixated. It is often said that if you don't bend, you break. We are so obsessed with the way we should be loved. So if your husband... Wants to love you in the bedroom. You say, oh, he just wants to take advantage of me. The only love you know is candlelight and dim lights in the house. How often can that be? Every day. That's your only language of love. It cannot be that it's only your way that is right. You are obsessed. You can be obsessed, I said, with perfectionism. Some of us are obsessed with living abroad. No matter what God says, we want to live elsewhere. We don't ask for God's will at all. We say, I'm obsessed. I want to be here. So whatever God says, I don't hear. This is the only thing I hear. We are obsessed with our desires. And sometimes we are obsessed with our views. You are obsessed with your way of dealing with a problem. You have to prosecute the issues to the last point. Point number one. Why did you look at me like that? Point number two, I'm always telling you that I don't like this and you keep repeating it. Therefore, it means that you do not care. The person says, no. It's just I don't think about it that way. I say you do not care. That is the reason. (laughs) (laughs) And we destroy our relationships in the pursuit of prosecution. You have made yourself the deputy prosecution officer director of public prosecutions that's the highest highest point in the common law for anybody who is a prosecution the director of public prosecution and you are the director no matter what the person does no matter how repentant he is because of that fall and that mistake you will prosecute it to the end and when you are talking he says it's okay i think that we have talked enough let's leave it so, no. We have to go to the last issue before I will feel that it has been solved. Daughter, do not be obsessed. Hallelujah. And we are sometimes so obsessed with our own opinions that when we cross a certain line, we now become abnormal. You see, as a pastor, I counsel many people, both men and women. I also have the privilege of counseling a lot of women. And there are times that they have come to me, elderly women, far grown up than I am, and they have said, this issue has happened in my marriage. I said, look, auntie, it's true, it has happened. You and your husband have tried to solve it, but it's not solving. Do you understand? You have your opinion, he has his opinion, I've told you to accept each other's opinion so that you can reach a compromise. It's not happening, you know? And your husband says that all these things that you are saying, they are not true. And so leave it so that your relationship can work. No, the person will not leave it. She's always looking out for more points to buttress her main points. She says, you don't know how this man has treated me for all these 30 years that we've been married. Every day he's doing this. Every day he's doing... Man. And the man cannot live anymore. At a point, the man was just weeping and telling me, I, I don't know what to do again. You know, I do everything I know how to do. I have begged for her forgiveness. And meanwhile, she has committed an offense against him. And he has forgiven her. But I think that she's so obsessed with her guilt. That she cannot let it go. So she said, he di- I did this. I did it because of reasons. I didn't just get up to do it. Fifteen years ago. And she still talks like that. Anytime there's any issue, she will go and bring this thing up. And tell me. You see, I've been telling you. And she says her husband is interested in other people. So I called the husband. I said, look, if you're interested in other people. Or that is the message you are transmitting. Try and do one, two, three, and four, so that you change what? But now, she's so obsessed with the idea that even queer people, the man has not spoken to them before. She says, he's interested in this person. The man said, what did I do? When they were saying grace, then you turned. Hey! (laughs) It is now a real sickness. And she cannot see anything without seeing it through those colors and through those things and the man said to me if even i can come and apologize to her again for whatever she says i've done even if i don't know i've done it but if i can come and apologize to her again and it will let her give it up i'll do it you know but it's not working and i think now from my personal assessment that it has become madness an obsession she has crossed the line she has gone beyond the cliff and now it's very difficult to lift her up. Because everything, this is her, mommy. You, you don't know. This and that, and that. Now everybody around her sees that the thing is queer. But she doesn't. She has created a world that is real to her. And she lives in it. And we are so obsessed sometimes with different things. Relationship that has broken up. You're obsessed. That if I don't have this thing, if I don't have this man, life will stop. The sun will stop. The moon will stop. And because of that, God cannot bring any miracle into your life. You are obsessed. You are stuck. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke 17. I have been to the mental hospital many times and I've seen women there. shouting, John, John, Peter, Peter. When it's being said, it's funny. But when you see it, it's very pathetic. And there were normal, sweet looking women like you and I. And they never knew that they would get there because the devil deceives you. Amen. That you will never be happy until this area is sorted out. And so you go and go and go. And in the end, you destroy the very thing you wanted to keep. Amen. How can that be? Look, chapter 17. The Lord is delivering us this afternoon. Are we there? Look, 17. We are reading from verse 31. If you are not there, shout, Wait for me. We'll wait for you. (laughs) Hallelujah. If you are there, say, I'm there. Okay. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his staff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Hallelujah. Amen. Now let's see what, this, what is this about Lot's wife. All that Jesus said, three, cents, three words. Remember Lot's wife. So let's turn to Genesis 19. It will help us to remember Lot's wife. Genesis chapter 19. It's going to be quite an account, but we we'll read it. And there came two angels, verse one, to Sodom at even. And Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. And Lord seeing them rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Verse 2: Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and he entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house around, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. This homosexuality, even in those days. They wanted to have the two angels, the men who had entered the house, bring them up so that we will sleep with them. We may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof and they said, stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in to surgeon and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed so upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Ha! Huh, just because they want the two angels inside. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said to Lot, hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city bring them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it and lot went out and spake unto his son-in-law which married his daughters and said up get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lord, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither! Is it not a little one, and my soul shall live? And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither! for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoa. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, that which grew upon the ground. Verse 26 But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, from this account, the reason why I read the whole story is I thought that some of you didn't know about this account. But the angels came in and said to Lot, bring your daughters, your sons, your whole family, bring them out of this place. Many times when you are in a fixated place, the Lord is sending an angel. He's sending his preacher. He's sending somebody to bring you out of that place of distraction. But you don't want to leave because you are fixated with that place. You are fixated with that Sodom, That is a place that is in the process of being destroyed. But you are not seeing it that way. It is something you are clutching to. And the Lord cannot release you from that place. And Lot went out, verse 40, and spoke unto his sons-in-law. But he seemed as one that mocked. Verse 15. Then they said, Arise, take thy wife, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of this city. The Lord still wanted to take them out. And he was still using things to get them out of that place, which was to be destroyed. But they didn't see the seriousness of where they were. And while he lingered, the man laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife. As Lot was lingering, the wife was also lingering. Many times you are in a place of distraction when you are obsessed or fixated in a place. many times that place is about to be destroyed. And the Lord is trying to lead you out. He has sent angels. You are not conforming. Now he's using his physical hand to pull you and you are lingering. The Lord is ushering us into life and we are lingering in the place of death. In the place of no living. And we don't want to move forward. And the angel said to them, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. But she didn't think that she was escaping for her life. She felt that she had left her life. Hallelujah. She felt she had left her life in Sodom. The angel said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. And so that was the instruction. And then when they went out, he says, Neither stay thou in the plain, escape to the mountain. And then Lord says, oh no, we would like to go to the city. We are leaving Sodom, but we also have another suggestion. Just like Sodom was a city, we would also like to move to another city. And the Lord has been merciful already. He should be merciful again. A small city, that's where we would like to go. The city was in them. And they couldn't get it out of them. Nothing is supposed to have you. You are supposed to have things. But things are not supposed to have you. And when things have us, then we are obsessed. Hallelujah. When they entered into Zohar, that was also another mercy of God. You go where you want to go. Fire and brimstone began to rain. But his wife looked back from behind him and became a pillar of salt. She looked back at what was familiar. She looked back at her years of toil and her years of hard work. She looked back at the relationships that the Lord was moving her on from. She looked back at what was a distraction. In the olden days, the men walked ahead and the women followed. And so the woman looked back from behind lots. And what did she become? First of all, she became a pillar. A pillar cannot move. A pillar cannot hear what God is saying. A pillar cannot feel. A pillar does not flow. And when you are a pillar, you become stuck in one place. All your nerves, your blood vessels are frozen. You have now become a pillar of salt. So you stop living because you are obsessed. Your life freezes in that place. And you are not able to move on. And other people who are on the same path with you are able to move on because they are not fixated like you are over one issue or another. In their lives And I believe that that's why Jesus said Remember Lord's wife He said in that day When you are in the field And something has happened Don't come into the house To come and get your stuff What is your stuff? Your stuff may be a destroyed relationship Your stuff may be a difficult marriage Your stuff may be a marriage With a problem But still a good thing Your stuff may be a problem with your children. Your stuff may be a mistake you committed some years ago. And you are now, God is moving you on. You want to go into the house to go and get your stuff. The Bible says, he that seeks to save his life will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake will preserve it. Many times we are so engulfed in self-preservation. It is not the Lord who is our shepherd, we are our own shepherd. We say Psalm 23, but it's not true. The Lord is my shepherd. No, I am my own shepherd. And as, so far as I'm my own shepherd, I'm going to ensure that I shall not want. With all my strength, with all my might, with all my wisdom, I want to declare to you that so far as I'm in control, I shall not want. When you go and fight and make yourself a shepherd, you cannot even look after yourself. In the night when you sleep, it is his angels that take charge of you there are many things that we don't have anything to do with and we Christians we come into Christ by grace but as soon as we arrive we begin to do things by our own strength you know forgetting that it is just of the mercies of God that we are not consumed daughter do not be obsessed I want us to look at a woman who fought with obsession and I want to deliver you this morning from the trap of obsession So turn your Bibles with me to Genesis 30, verse 1. Genesis Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. It's one of my favorite passages. I preach so many messages from these passages. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilha, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilha her handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in unto her. And Bilha conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and had given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. We'll read as we go along. But one thing I want you to notice that would save you from an obsession is that usually whatever becomes an obsession starts with something that is undesirable in our life, something painful, something tragic, something disappointing. It is. it is a valid a valid feeling it is a valid sentiment that you have towards that thing it starts that way and so Rachel had a valid need that she was childless it is valid it is not that she's imagining it it is not that the heartache is not real it is not that the the lack of a child is not real in her life it is real but at the end of the story it becomes an obsession but most obsessions don't start as an obsession. It just starts that you, you, you identify an undesirable state of affairs in your life, whatever it is. Undesirable that, oh, I'm single. I want to marry. I, I had a very bad relationship. A person cheated on me and did It's very painful. It's a normal thing, you know, a normal thing. But it moves on into an obsession later, and we are going to look at those steps. So usually you identify or notice an undesirable state of affairs, just like Rachel. The Bible says, when Rachel saw, you see the thing and you don't like it. When Rachel saw that she was barren, she bare Jacob no children, then she wasn't happy. So the devil starts with truth, The things are true. The thing that you are worried about, it is true that it is real. You know, you don't live in a a make-believe world. It is real. It is a difficult situation. It is painful to you. It is true. It is usually not only undesirable, but also uncontrollable. Because usually it is by nature. Because of other things that are beyond your control. It is an impenetrable situation. Because if you could solve it, it will not become an obsession. But it is a problem that you cannot solve. A problem you don't have an answer for. And it is eating away at you. It is a difficult situation. Not only is it difficult, it is difficult to solve. You don't have a solution to it. And then you begin to look at somebody as the cause. You begin to look for the cause of the problem because you don't have a solution. So you begin to look around the, why am I in this situation? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so sad? Why do I feel so rejected? Why is my marriage not working the way I would like it to work? You begin to look. You say, "Ah, it's because of this husband. And so to Rachel, when she looked, she said, it's Jacob. It's Jacob that is not making me have a child. It's Jacob. It's not me. It's Jacob. And how many of you know that many times we find the fault in somebody else? From the Garden of Eden, Adam said, the woman that thou gavest me. The woman said, the serpent beguiled me. Only the serpent didn't have anybody to say. But it is a natural thing. So as she looked around her, she believed a lie. The thing starts with the truth. But if the devil brings you only lies, you will not believe. So he has to mix the truth with lies. And when you become confused, then now you don't know what to believe. That is how the obsession plays out. So the truth of the situation was that you are childless. But it is a lie that Jacob is the cause for your childlessness. Because after all, Leah had given birth by the same man. So it is not Jacob. But because your situation looks impenetrable, there's no solution. You look around and usually it's the nearest person. Say, hey, this is a person. God have mercy. And then it leads to a bad attitude. When you begin to mix the truth with the lies, you begin to develop a bad attitude. And you begin, it begins to affect others. The Bible says, when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, she envied her sister. So now the situation has moved from just you, and it's moving to touch other people. And so your obsession, now you're thinking, this situation cannot be solved. It's true. But I think I recognize the source of the problem. Then when I recognize the source of a problem, I also begin to develop a bad attitude. And I say, when I go to church, even the way they look at me, I know that they are thinking about me. When I go to church, the way they behave, I know that they are thinking about me. When my husband does this, I know that he's doing it just to hurt me because of this and that. You begin to develop a bad attitude. Then, Rachel was the most loved by Jacob. And she wanted to preserve that love. And she felt that, Leah had something she didn't have And therefore maybe Jacob's love would drift So it is in trying To preserve that love She begins to destroy it Usually It is in trying to preserve a good thing And you become So obsessed Now you become self-destructive And you begin The reason why this woman I told you about Is attacking her husband that like, Look You are interested in this person. You looked at this person this way. Why? Because her marriage is precious to her. And she wants to protect it in every way. But in trying to protect it, she's driving the man away. And she's destroying the very thing that she so cherishes and so wants to protect. And that is how it is. Because we have mixed truth with lies. And at the end, we cannot even recognize our problem anymore. And it has become something else. And so Rachel, when she saw that, she envied her sister. A bad attitude begins to develop. So we begin to attack the very thing we want or desire. You attack your Jacob, you attack your marriage, you attack your husband, you attack your children, you attack your relationships. And then you become irrational. Now you are not common sense anymore. The obsession has begun. Because she said, give me children or I die. If this man could give you children, would he not have given you? Give me children or I die. The people who didn't have children in the Bible and God brought a breakthrough to this, did they die? But you have become so obsessed that now it's either or. Either I have it or I die. There's no in between. Obsession. Daughter, do not be obsessed. Give me this man or I die. I don't care whether he's married. I don't care whether he's a lady, person I'm in love. Hey, is that love give me a marriage in this way or else I die or else I'll spend all my energy working to making him conform to my image the Bible says the Holy Ghost that makes us conform to the image of Christ but you you have become a personal Holy Ghost making people conform to your image you are very busy you don't have time for anything Give me a child or children, or else I die. You have now become, common sense is not reigning anymore, that you are being driven by that need, which is, remember, it started as a legitimate need, but you have become so fixated like Lot's wife, you have become a pillar over that issue. All your nerves, your blood vessels and everything have frozen. You cannot move on in life your every problem, your every solution, your every thought revolves around that thing. So give me children or I die. Then your husband becomes angry. say, am I God? Am I in the stead of God to give you a child? The very relationship, you want to win his love more, and yet you are driving him away by the things that you are doing. And many women are self-destructive. And when we finish, we sit in the midst of our distress, how did I get here? We are filled with ashes all around us and we don't know how we got there but this afternoon I came to deliver you before you go beyond the cliff and to tell you that daughter you don't have to be obsessed you become so driven even to the point of death therefore you demand to take o- demons take over because demons compel and drive us you move out of common sense rational thinking and behavior And all of us around you don't understand you. But you, you understand yourself. And you feel that we rather have gone nuts. And that you are the one who has your head straight on. (laughs) You begin to be frantic and afraid. And you suffer from paranoia. You, You are now afraid. What is going to happen? You see, I was talking to a lady whose husband says he's leaving her. Oh, she has done everything that she can do. She has rolled from here to there. He says he's leaving. She has begged. He's leaving. She has fasted. He's leaving. She has prayed. He's leaving. So I said to her, It is true that the word of God is against divorce. But where the person says he is going, you have done all that you know to do. He still says he is going. It's time to open the two doors. Open the door. It is not the end of the world. He gives beauty for ashes. Out of the ashes, life will come. Hallelujah. It is only God who is God. There is no human being who is God. God gives you human beings to bless you, but it's not the end of the world. Begin to develop a survivor mentality. Look around you. Some people have been left, and yet they've made it. Some people have been left, and yet God has lifted them up. It's not the end of the world. Hallelujah. But she's not going. She's not eating. She's just weeping. She's crying. I think that, I told my husband, I think this lady can easily go around the bend. And I pray that it doesn't come to that. Because now she's not even taking care of herself. When you see her, she has not done her hair. She has not ironed her clothes. A hey, respectable woman. Somebody who loved herself. What is it? The obsession with being left. Being rejected. But before you were at your father's house, did you not have a life? Was the Lord not on the throne? Why? He's always been. You've begged. You've asked for forgiveness. You've cried. The person says he's going. Let him go. So that the Lord can give you another dream. (laughs) But don't become a pillar of salt. Don't become a... You don't feel anymore. Your everything is... Now when she sits down to watch television, she'll just be watching. she'll best out like that yeah another lady somebody was telling you see the way she behaves is very bad how can she now when her husband is um, getting ready for his business meetings and things then she comes to stand there and she does "Eh," a grown-up woman she does "Eh," it's not funny it's so sad and she rolls from one end to the other one end to the other you know, and they were criticizing, how can she be? I said, when he married her, was she like that? Do you think any normal person stands over her husband and does say, why? She has been obsessed with getting attention from him. And she's not getting it. So now when he goes to his study to do his business, she stands behind the door and whines like a dog. Asking, why? It began with a legitimate reason, but now it has crossed. And when we do that, we, the men even lose respect for us. Because we become clutchy and clinging, and men like a challenge. You want to go, here's the door, Eh? Hey. but why is she not? <laughs> Throw him a challenge. Every day you are crying, begging, they are kicking you, and they you are coming. You, you, you lose respect in his eyes. Daughter, don't be obsessed. Amen. Yeah. You see, demons drive you. And it becomes an obsession when the demons move in. You remember the madman of Gadara? He was just driven, cutting himself, crying, self destruction. You are driven at that point. At that point, you are no more in charge. These ladies, I realized at a point that they are not in charge anymore. Now they are not even human. They are behaving like something else. But I don't condemn them. In fact, it was from these things that this message was birthed. I said, Lord, women need to be delivered so that they don't go off the cliff. Life will go. And then I spoke to my mother because she's an older woman and she also gives good advice. So I asked her, What should this woman do? My mother said, She's living here, she's great My mother said, Oh, does she not have any skill in life? I said, oh, she's a caterer. She should start again, start small. Even that will stop you from being depressed because you have something to do. Amen. And as she does it, the Lord will bless her work. Amen. But if she's going to, say so she has stopped everything. oh No work, no, no. Crying day and night. Crying day and night. Crying day and night. And now the man is in charge. She's lost it. So the man says, if you want me to marry you again, then travel here, go here. Then she gets up and she goes. Amen. If you want me to marry you again, do this. Then she, she has lost it. And when I called her, I wanted to tell her, you are no longer in control. Something has snapped. But she wasn't ready. When I spoke to her, I said, you know, things come our way that we are not ready for, and it's not the end of the world. She said, yes, but I'm still believing God. I could see that. I just couldn't go beyond. No, I didn't even talk much because of that. I said, Lord, I'm just going to intercede for her because if I talk, she's not there. She's still working on this thing, you know but I believe that the grace of God will bring her through. Amen. Amen. Then what Rachel does is that, because she begins to be frantic and afraid, she begins to think that her life will come to an end. This is it. Nothing good is going to happen again. So now, out of fear, she begins to take, my maid, take her and sleep with her. We do irrational things. When we cross that line now, we have become, we've lost it. And so our decisions from henceforth, they are not good. So she takes Bilhah and offers Bilhah to Jacob. And it is one of the sons of Bilhah who later seeks to kill her, Joseph. It is one of the direct sons of Bilhah who later seeks to kill Joseph of the future. So God is delivering you for sure. But because of your panorama, you are creating things. That are supposed to come and destroy the miracle that God is bringing you. And you don't even know it. And you are busy. The Lord should have mercy. And save us as women. Hallelujah. And we are reading on. I broke off somewhere. Verse 7. And Bill, Rachel's maid conceived again, and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, "With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed." And she called his name Naphtali. When you become para- filled paranoia, you become paranoid, then you take decisions based on your fear. Then after that, you create a world and you want others to live in it with you. Leah has not wrestled with you anyway in the Bible. Leah, she's already been rejected. She's trying to see if Jacob will like her a little. But she's not thinking about you. Now you say that with great wrestlings. It is you. Your own self-created wrestlings. You have created a world and you want all of us to come and live within it. And say that it is real. It is not real. So now your imagination is driving you. I believe that that's why the Bible says casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge many of our thoughts they exalt themselves above the knowledge of god (laughs) everything that god is saying your thought is higher than that and you are driven by that that is why we take captive imaginations because if you don't they will run haywire fear somebody says is false evidence appearing real and how many of you know that imagination is a very powerful thing? And when you are afraid of something, your imagination embellishes your fear. And so, what you are afraid of, it becomes greater than it really is. It looks big, it looks gigantic, it looks frightening because your imagination is running haywire. But if you will begin to think the way God thinks, you say, "Hey, listen, it looks great and all that, but greater I see that is in me than He that is in the world. It can be great, but there's a greater one." Hallelujah. Yeah. So She begins to create a world that is not real and expects all of us to live in it. Now, she has gone to bring Leah also into the world. Leah has not wrestled with you over anything. With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. You begin to believe lies or have a perverted view, a viewpoint, and you become spiritual about it. So God has judged me, whatever, and because you become spiritual, you are not able to face the facts. Because you have covered it with spirituality and that is the way you are deceived but because it's in the spiritual realm you think god is in it but god is not in it it is total deception but the devil knows that the only way you complain to it is to believe that it is god who has you know heard me and has judged me god has not judged you about anything <laughs> what happens is that you may become superstitious verse 14 And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. And she said unto her, Is it a small thing, a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And wouldest thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening And Leah went out to meet him and said Thou must come in unto me For surely I have hid thee with my son's mandrakes And he lay with her that night And God hearkened unto Leah And she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son And Leah said God hath given me my hire Because I have given my maiden to my husband And she called his name Issachar Pathetic Very sad You begin to become superstitious. Everything is demons. Everything is your mother. Everything is witchcraft. Everything is somebody who is doing you. It's all on the road of obsession. Mandrakes are a lettuce-like plant of dark green color with purple flowers and a fruit about the size of a small red apple. And it has a pleasant odor. It was used in love potions so that it will ensure that you would... It ensured contraception, rather. (laughs) Now, Rachel is asking Leah, give me the mandrakes so that I will become fertile. Your son has gone into the field, but I've now become superstitious, so give me the mandrakes. And instead of doing what will bring a baby that is going to sleep with Jacob, she rather accepts the mandrakes and says, you go and sleep with Jacob. And the very thing she wants, she releases Leah into that blessing. We do the opposite. We do the opposite of what we want. Because now we are not thinking anymore. We are now on the road. It's a downhill slide. And it's not easy for us to be called back into sanity. Mercy on us. You are facing an issue in your relationship with your father, with your mother, with your husband. We say, it's okay. You are destroying the thing. Ceasefire. Even the world knows ceasefire. I say, no, 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 no. Lady Pastor, I have two more issues to complete and in completing the two more issues now demons have moved in and you are being propelled into another direction Leah became fruitful without mandrakes Rachel remained fruitless with mandrakes the bible says God hearkened unto Leah Rachel never felt that God was enough and so when we read on she stole her father's idols so now God is not enough church is not enough the Bible is not enough. Now you need a personal prophecy. And when you go, the prophet says, remove your clothes. Crawl on the floor. Now, God is not enough. Other gods have had to move in because your work, your project is big. You need more contractors to work on your issue. She died in sorrow, never having celebrated her life. And I think that I would like us to read that. Verse 22, and God remembered Rachel. She didn't have to do anything. It's not the mandrakes that brought remembrance. You see, sometimes we forget that God is in charge of our lives. You see, Lot's wife, she had been captured earlier by some kings, and Abraham had gone to fight and release them. She didn't pray to God. And even in Sodom, she didn't know she was going to be destroyed, but God has delivered you from it. Then now, you begin to say, I have to secure my own future. As I'm leaving Sodom, I have to see whether one or two things are in place. Who said? God is serving. He knows the plans that He has for us. They are plans of prosperity and not of disaster to give us a future and to give us a hope. Hallelujah. So God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, the lord shall add another son hallelujah they say that this is the first prophecy in the bible that god will add another son but as we go on we see that rachel never recovered from her problems i'm looking for it so that i can read that short part Uh uh-huh genesis chapter 35 Verse 36. And we'll be ending this session, this one soon. Daughter, don't be obsessed. Don't be obsessed. Don't be obsessed. Don't be obsessed. Oh. We all have this sickness. The Lord will help us. <laughs> and they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel traveled, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin, and Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Hallelujah And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day Hallelujah You see they journeyed from Bethel Bethel was a house of God And they were going Up to Ephrath Which is Bethlehem The house of bread She was just about to receive her bread But her obsession did not help her She traveled, she had hard labor. And when she was in hard labor, the midwife said, Fear not, you will have a son also. And when her soul was departing, she said, My son is called Benoni, son of my sorrows. And Jacob said, No, he shall be called Benjamin, son of my right hand. The same issue, but two different points of view. The same issue, but two different perspectives. I think that Rachel was tired and weary of fighting. Because it was after she had given birth to Joseph that she goes with the idols. You know, when she's moving out, she goes with the idols. God said, God has not been enough for me. Even though he's given me Joseph, I don't know whether things will be okay. So let me just take an added something. And as she goes along, the very blessing, the very thing that she has spent the rest of her life fighting for brings her into hard labor. You see, sometimes God doesn't give you a certain blessing because you are not ready for it. Blessings come in seasons and in times. The Bible says when you are planted by the river, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Everything has a season. When Hannah came to pray, there was a season later before Samuel was ushered into the world, you know. And God prepares us for the various seasons in our lives. Nothing is permanent, you know. Your sorrow is not permanent. Your heartache is not permanent. Have you not seen that thing that you used to cry about? Have you not seen that now it's gone? I was telling you yesterday, that boy you cried about, now you don't even remember his name. That foolish boy, you remember? (laughs) But when God was bringing her from the house of God to the house of bread, her heart had been filled with much sorrow. The Bible says she was filled with much sorrow. And she began to depart. She didn't make any effort to go on living. Our obsession, if we do not check it, will bring us to a place of death. And not only that, we may gain what we are looking for, but we ourselves will not be there to celebrate that life that God brings our way. May the Lord deliver us from that bondage. It is a demonic bondage that has to be broken. And this afternoon, may every demonic stronghold in your life be broken. I believe that that's what the Bible says, pulling down strongholds. Strongholds are things that have a stronghold on you. And that is an obsession. Fixated. Held in one place. A stronghold. Recognize what you are fixated by. Recognize it. You see, the woman the Syrophoenician woman, when she came, she said, my daughter is grievously vexed with a demon. Some of you, if we had told you that, I said, do you know my daughter's heritage? How can you come and say she's vexed with a demon? But unless you are able to recognize things and call them by their names, we will not be delivered. When you go to the doctor, you tell the doctor the symptoms, the things that are wrong with you. You don't say, actually, you know, there's nothing wrong, but I'm just here. Even if you don't feel whatever, you feel that there's something wrong, that's why you are there. You know, so call a spade a spade, not an agricultural instrument. There are many agricultural instruments. We have garden fork, we have watering can, we have a spade, we have a hoe. Which one is it? You say, oh, it's it's just a a little problem. Oh, it's just a... Call it what it is. It is an obsession. It is an addiction. It is a fixation. Be delivered. Amen. 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 Recognize that you are fixated by it. Commit it to God. Tell yourself that although you think you are so right about what you are thinking about, you may be wrong or partially wrong. Remember how you've been so sure sometimes about certain things and you were wrong. Sometimes you are going to somebody's house. You say, is it this blue gate? I "I remember, he said blue gate. You have argued with your husband. When you get there, it was a red gate. Then you are standing there. You don't know how to say. Sometimes you have had ideas about people, you know. Maybe you stand behind the door, some people are talking. Say, I know they are talking about me. This and then later, when you draw closer, oh, they're talking about a football match, and yet you were so sure. <laughs> so don't be so confident about your views and your opinions. The Bible says, preferring others above yourself. It means others' opinions as well. In marriage, sometimes your husband's opinion is different from yours. It doesn't mean that by all means you should take your opinion. Hey, I saw it. I have 25 reasons why. He doesn't see it. You are standing here, so you are seeing the pulpit from here. He is standing here, he's seeing the pulpit from here, so he's seeing this. What is it called? A speaker? No, this thing, this black thing. A monitor. I don't know those things. <laughs> but you are both standing at two different parts. Sometimes you are both right. But in order to move on, decide that I'm going to take his views. Prefer it above mine. Even though I feel so sure about mine, just maybe. Maybe there's a maybe. Sometimes like somebody offends you say, I know she's been doing it. This is the sixth time. Maybe there's another reason. Recognize that you are not God. Recognize that you are not God and the person is also not God. Therefore, your life is not in the hands of any man. Your life is in the hands of God. Celebrate the goodness of God in your life. Celebrate the goodness of God. There are many things Rachel could be thankful for. A man has married somebody after seven years' labor. He says, it's you I want. I'm going to work another seven years. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel, but he didn't like Leah the man's concentration isn't it every woman's dream to be loved beyond anything and you have found it but you say no give me a child or else I die give me things that you are not even supposed to be able to give me or else I die celebrate the goodness of God because when you count your blessings it releases the obsession and the fixation you know and even the failures and the pain it has worked out for good Look at you. You are sitting here today. It is of his mercies. Look at all that you have been through and yet you made it. And you are sitting here today. The Lord has been good. It was a failure. It was a mistake. You wasted your money. You wasted your resources. You wasted your time. But it's not over unless God says it's over. I always tell you, the Lord says he'll give you beauty in the place of ashes. Nobody can do that. Only God. Can do that. Stop crying over spilt milk and move on. So celebrate the goodness of God. Seek someone to be accountable to. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed. You see, just talk it to somebody who heals you. The person will tell you, ah, the way you are standing at your husband's study doing, yeah, you are losing it all. Your girlfriend will tell you, you are losing it. Something is wrong. You know? But you have isolated yourself. You, you don't share any problem. You don't see anything. Your life is always very rosy. When people talk about having beast in marriage, you there you don't know anything. Why artificial? <laughs> Bible says confess your faults one to another. But talk to a level-headed person, because people are in check. They are not godly. They don't. <laughs> they don't give godly counsel. <laughs> the Bible says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. People give ungodly counsel. You know, when Absalom came into power, Ahithophel was a very good counselor, but he didn't listen to him because David prayed that, destroy the counsel of Ahithophel so that Absalom will not do what is right. So counsel is a very important key and it can lead you to place. And it can also derail you depending on which counsel. And when Rehoboam came into power, he said that, my father chastised you with whips, but me have brought scorpions why because his friends advised him and he heard it the bible says the young men who have grown who had grown up with him they don't have any thing the coconuts so be careful who you listen to talk because speaking brings healing job said i will speak so that i will not best you know so when you speak you realize that your problem is not peculiar He said, my husband, he's always buying me kitchen appliances. And then the person will say, ah, me too. He even bought me a coffee maker. (laughs) Then you become encouraged. Oh, it's like that. But when you don't talk, you always think that your situation is strange. You know, you say, actually, this is my problem. It's only me. As you talk, you realize that actually what I have is very good. (laughs) What I have is a blessing. If I says, my husband, he's not romantic when he goes I ask him what happened he says it was good, it was stupendous it was powerful, why would he not talk to me lady pastor, that you come and hear that they give headlines not details uh, so even if I leave him and I go for Peter, you know the grass always looks greener on the other side you don't know as you go there you would like to come back for your thing and so it's good to talk and to seek godly counsel. So seek someone to be accountable to. And release the past. Release your fixation. Release your obsession. I told you, you must have things, but things must not have you. And I want us in closing to read Romans 6. Verse 16 to 18. Romans 6. I was asking some of my women's movement, but I said, so you, what's your obsession? They had the obsessions, but right? different things. <laughs> <Yeah. Okay. laughs> Romans 6, 6 to 18. Those of you women who have only male friends, you are losing something. <laughs> 16
2: to
1: 18. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey whether of sin and to death or obedience and to righteousness the bible is saying that don't you know that the person that you yield yourself to you are a servant to that thing may we not be servants to our emotions servants to our feelings servants to our failures servants to our guilt Servants to condemnation. Servants to people's judgment. Servants to approval at all costs. You want the person to love you. So now, even when the person is wrong, you won't say it. Because love at all costs, at any price. To whom you yield your, your members, you become servants to that thing. Today, may we yield to the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost is in your life, you are liberated. The Bible says, he whom the Son shall set free is free indeed. He came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. As we release our obsessions and our fixations, abundant life will flow in. May healing begin to come into every life too. May every stronghold of the enemy be broken in the name of Jesus. And may the Holy Spirit brood over you. And where there's nothing, as the Holy Spirit broods, may it begin a new life and a new chapter in your life. In Jesus' name. Amen, somebody.